So how's everybody doing this morning? Great. Everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. Able to get some good food in your belly? I'm hoping. At least I know I did. I think I still might be a little bit stuffed from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's one of those that when I see the plates, I just I keep piling on. I don't just talk about everything I'm going to eat. I make sure I eat everything I'm talking about. It's like I just I have to. And it didn't help that the day prior I was uh, doing my little uh, vlog pastors podcast with a friend down in Texas, and we just talked about food, 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 and more food and. What happens? I ate food, food, and more food, and I ate it all, and it was good. Um, and then, of course, yesterday, that meant I was back on my diet, and I couldn't eat all of that good food, even though there was still pumpkin pie <laughs> in the fridge. I, I wanted it, something fierce, and I opted not to. I was, I was trying to be a good boy. I'm trying to behave. It's one of those things that, of course, going through this series, I keep finding things throughout it that are kind of conflicting to me. And it's like not just conflicting in my personality where it's like, I want to do this, but I'm not doing this. And I have that Apostle Paul moment, you know, where it's like the thing that I want to do, I don't do. But the thing I wish not to do, that's what I'm doing. And so then you've got pumpkin pie sitting in front of you and you're like, mm, I want to eat that, but I shouldn't eat that. I should stay away from that. Nine times out of ten, I fail, and I go straight for the pumpkin pie. Yesterday was a good boy. Um, I don't know why I just said that, and all of a sudden I thought of myself as a dog. You know, good boy, you did really good. Um, we're going to wrap up the series today on the judges, and we're going to take a look at probably the most popular judge there was, uh, Samson. And yet... Samson is one that I think there are so many different lessons, and I was really struggling with this one above all of the others. Uh, you know, the rest of the judges, you've got just a little bit that's written about them. I mean, some of them, it was like two verses, and others, you get like, you know, a half a chapter. With Samson, you get like four or five chapters that are discussing his life and his journey. And Samson was also one of those that I mean, there were these prophecies about who he was before he was born. And I mean, when you think about that, and, and maybe you can't relate as much as I can, but you get that type of a mindset in you. See, growing up, I've always heard, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a great man of God. I'm going to do these mighty things. And of course, you hear that. And all of a sudden, you start to think of yourself as Superman where you're invincible and I can do it all because God has predestined before my conception that I was going to do these amazing things. Of course, there was that moment where I tried to rebel against God and run straight away from it, only to find out that when God is omnipresent, it's impossible to outrun him because he's everywhere. And so I, I gave into that, but yet there's always been this battle inside me to make sure that I don't fall into that arrogance of everything I heard growing up that made my head swell up a little bit, thinking about how God was going to use me in these ways. But yet when I look at the life of Samson, I can start to see that in him. I mean, not just that his head started to swell up. He made a lot of bad decisions. Like if you go through and you start to read the story, you see that he made a lot of bad decisions. He was very arrogant. 
He thought that he was the strongest man alive, and, well, he was. But then he took that all in himself, and he's like, look what I did. Look at all of this that I have. And he just kept tripping over his own bad decisions over and over and over again. And so as I'm trying to prepare this message, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, man, I could go so many different ways, because there's all these different Samson stories that we could be talking about. But yet with this whole series about the judges, it's about trying to find the lessons that we can see inside here that really point us towards God. To to see that these judges were deliverers sent by God, but yet they in themselves are still human beings. And I think there's something that can be extracted from that for us. That when we start to get this understanding, we can realize that, These are just men and women, ordinary men and women, flawed men and women that God used in great ways. And God used not just for their benefit, but for the benefit of everyone else. And then I start to see Samson in a new light because I still see him with all of his flaws. And I start to identify a little bit more with him, especially when it comes to some of the bad decisions And his bad decisions, and here's like the hard thing for me as a man to realize, his bad decisions were because he was an emotional man. And as men, that's something we don't recognize in ourselves. We're like, oh, we're not emotional. We're very logical. Women are the emotional ones. And statistically, statistically, when we talk about the mental decision-making process, 75% of women will make decisions based on emotion, where 75% of men will make those decisions based on logic. But where does that logic come from? And that's the ultimate problem, because men are still making logical decisions based on emotion. The difference between men and women being emotional is that women are more relational with their emotions. Their emotions have to do with other people and how they feel and and what they would think of this. Whereas men, their emotional decisions are based on how we feel and what we think of this. It becomes very selfish. It's something that with men being emotional in this way, it will lead us to not be led by the Spirit of God, but rather led by our own emotions Women, when they become emotional, what they'll often do is they'll just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And all the men said, amen. Men, on the other hand, we don't talk about the emotions. We do something about the emotions. If a woman gets angry, that's an emotion, right? Woman gets angry. You are going to hear about how angry she is. Maybe to the point that your ears then start bleeding. But when a man is angry, you won't hear about it, but there will still be some bleeding happening. He's just going to sock you in the nose. This is the thing that they're both men and women driven by emotion, but how they respond is different. And then as men, we want to identify and say, oh no, women are the emotional ones because they talk about it all the time. And yet men are really emotional. Think about anger alone and of itself. And this is probably one of those emotions that I struggle with the most. 
especially driving a car. <clears throat> and I have to watch myself all the time. Like, I'm, I'm on the way this morning, coming to church. And we just, we're west of town here, you know, right at the hill where right before you get to like airport road, there's that big hill that drops south and then it curves back and goes uphill towards the east. Right there, just make that turn and I have to hit the brakes because somebody is driving 40 miles an hour. And I'm like, oh yeah, bless their heart in that, <laughs> that southern church lady kind of way. Mm, oh, bless their heart. And I, and I just, I feel it on the inside. I feel this, this anger on the inside that just wants to rise up and say, all right, Josh, just don't tap on the brakes yet and get right up on their butt and make them nervous to the point that they hurry up. And I have to check myself. This happens all the time. I mean, it really bothers most female writers with me when we're in Des Moines. Because in Des Moines, I just, I ignore any anger that would come around by saying, Everybody who is driving during rush hour traffic is a complete imbecile. And the only way for me to navigate this effectively is to treat my car like the old video game Frogger. I am going to weave and swerve in between everybody, and I don't care if there's six inches between my bumper and their bumper. As long as there's room, this is what's happening. And it's funny because you get like the females in my car that they're like, ah, no, covering my eyes, I can't do it. And I know there's Logan on the inside and he's sitting in the back and he's like, hee, <laughs> And it's that, that anger that rises up. And there have been more than one time where somebody has cut me off and I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. You, you watch this, you know, wannabe minivan, it's going to catch up to you at some point. And, and I think about what, what would be the end case of me giving in to my anger on the road? What's going to happen? It's like a dog that is chasing the tire of a car. What happens if you actually catch it? I mean, what do I think is going to happen? I'm going to pull them over and I'm going to give them, well, what's for? Well, that's one option. Or two, I'm now breaking so many laws that I then get pulled over and either fined or arrested. That's another option. Or maybe the third option, especially when the kids are in the car and my wife is not, I'm thinking, I better tone it down because otherwise they are going to tell their mother all of the things that their father did. <laughs> And then my emotional response will lead to her emotional response. And my action will lead to her doing lots of talking. And then it's not going to be the other driver that's bleeding. It will be my ears that are bleeding. I love you, honey. I hope you don't mind that I just said that. <laughs> See, what happens is we just, we all do this at some point. We have these emotional responses where we just... We don't think with the mind of Christ and we don't react the way that God would have us react. We just become very reactionary in the moment and we react based on our feelings, based on our emotion. But yet the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, look at this. He says, I say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
for the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust or the flesh lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. So you don't do the things that you wish. This is contrary. Like you cannot be driven by emotion and led by the spirit at the same time. It's one or the other. And as Christians, we are told that the sons of God are to be led by the spirit of God. Not driven by their emotions. You can't have both because the spirit is contrary to our flesh. And yet this is something that we will often struggle with. And it's something that Samson, in all of his strength, this was his weakness. It was his big weakness. I mean, Samson had done so many things wrong. Like Samson knew he shouldn't be with, a, with Philistine women. And what does he do? He, he starts lusting after him. He's like, that's the one that I want. doesn't matter that his parents are like, uh, bad idea. You can't do that. I want her anyways. And then there's like this lion that he slays and he dips his hand and pulls some honey out to eat. And he's like, oh, it's so sweet. Even though they're not supposed to have anything to do with dead animals or anything dead. You don't touch them. You have nothing to do with them. And Samson's like, well, I want it anyway, so I'm going to have it. Whatever Samson wanted, he went after. Whatever he was driven to by the lust of his flesh, he went after and he pursued this. And it it didn't matter. The consequences didn't matter to him. It finally gets to this point, and if you've got your Bible, I want you to kind of see this story uh, here in Judges chapter 14. And what winds up happening is, here's Samson, and he's getting ready for his wedding, again, to the woman that he's not supposed to be wed to, but whatever, he's going to go ahead and do what he wants anyways. And so he's got this plan, and we're going to go ahead and eat this. But then all of a sudden, there's these these Philistines that come up, and they're wanting to know some things. And they're wanting Samson to reveal some things. Samson decides, you know what I'm going to do? I am actually going um, to taunt them with a riddle. And then, like what men do, we've got to make things fun and interesting. Let's have a wager. Here's the wager. There are 30 of you. There's one of me. I'll make a wager that if I give you a riddle, you can't solve it. And if you do solve it, I'll buy you all a brand new wardrobe. And if you don't solve it, and I'll even give you a week to solve this riddle. If you can't do it in a week, you've all got to buy me one. Now, to think about this from a rational standpoint, Samson loses this bet. He's got to buy 30 different outfits. They lose. They each only have to buy one. This is what Samson wants anyways. So if you look down here, Samson goes ahead and he starts to give them this riddle. Verse 14, he says, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. He's posing this riddle to them. Answer this. Answer this riddle. Give me the answer to this riddle. And they're stumped. Now, obviously, what he's talking about and he's referring to is this lion and the honey. And he's referring back to that, but they don't get it. And they're trying and they're trying and, you know, days go past. And these guys get so angry and so frustrated, they start to go to Samson's bride. And they're like, can you get this from me? Can you get the answer for us? 
Is there anything that you could possibly do? Well, you look down here in verse 15, it says it came to pass that on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband so that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So Samson's wife goes to him and she cries. Cries. Says in verse 16, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. He says to her, look, I've not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? She weeps again. The seven days while the feast lasted, it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explains the riddle to the people. See, Samson, again, emotionally driven. He's just worn down at this point. Well, I, I, should, I should go ahead. I shouldn't have made the stupid riddle in the first place. I shouldn't have made this bet. Now my wife's got me to the point where she's crying. I need to silence the crying because I can't take the crying anymore. I'm just going to give her whatever she wants. Doesn't matter what the consequence hits. Verse 18, it says, The men of the city said to him, on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? He says to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. <laughs> now, I, I, I looked in the Hebrew here. I, I went back and I looked in the Hebrew just to see what this actually says. And in the Hebrew, it actually says... If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Okay, is there a lesson to be pulled out of what his response is? Yes, I think there are probably two lessons, especially for men, that we can learn from what he says right here. Um, the first one, don't let anybody plow with your wife. And the second one, don't call her a heifer. <laughs> that, that would be... The basis. Don't don't give me that look. She's. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny that I may have had her ringtone a mooing cow at one point. <laughs> I'm not confirming nor denying. <laughs> but this is this is Samson's response. He's now angry at them. And his wife, he's blaming them for doing whatever it took to get the answer. And he's blaming his wife because she got the answer out of him. No personal accountability here at all. Samson's not going to blame himself for the fact that he's the one that made the stupid bet in the first place. Nope, 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 not going to do that. So what does Samson do? He responds with that emotion of anger. Verse 19 and 20, look what it says here. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. Now, Right there, <laughs> he's like, he's responsible to fill his end of the bet. What does he do? 
oh, I'm so angry, I'm going to go kill 30 men and then take the clothes off their back to give to these guys. That's how I'm going to respond. His anger was aroused. He was so angry at this point. Now, the crazy thing is, as you may have just seen here, it was talking about this feast of seven days. This feast of seven days that was just taking place, as in the feast that was leading up to his wedding. His wedding is supposed to be happening right now. And he is so angry, he walks away from his wedding to go kill 30 men to pay up his bet. In that day, in that time, if you were the father of the bride and your daughter is ready to be wed and the groom just walks out on her, anybody else want her? Because she's ready to be married. And that's exactly what happens here because in verse 20, Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Oh, now can you imagine the anger being aroused? This was the woman that he shouldn't have pursued. He pursued the wrong woman. He decided to marry the wrong woman. He ignored his parents' advice about that. He taunts Philistines into this riddle that only he has the answer to, and yet he's the one that gave up the secret to that riddle. And then he left his bride at the altar. It's like, Samson, what is wrong with you? But that's not how he responds. He, he doesn't respond this way. The way that he responds is down in chapter 15, verse 4. Samson went and caught 300 foxes, took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, put the torch between each pair of tail, and then when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. He is so angry at this po point, I'm going to go grab some foxes. I'm going to tie their tails together, stick a torch in the middle of it, light it on fire, and throw them out there. We're going to burn down all of your fields. We're going to burn down your villages. Why? Because you guys solved the answer to the riddle that I shouldn't have challenged you with in the first place, and I gave you the answer to, and then because I tried to pay up on the bet, I then abandoned my wife at the altar, and because I abandoned her at the altar, she was given away to another man. It's all your fault. And he tries to burn everything down. Samson was angry, but all of his anger was misplaced anger because he was not taking any responsibility for it. This doesn't sound familiar in your life at all, does it? Nope. No. Never have any misplaced anger. Oh, my boss is such an idiot. You know that job... They don't know heads from tails. My spouse never meets the needs. Oh, these silly kids, when are they actually going to learn? Oh, those stores, why do they have to have all of these rules? Oh, those idiot drivers always going slow. 
doesn't matter that I could have left a few minutes early and then I wouldn't have minded a slow driver. Yeah. Or we do one of these. Why did God put me in this situation? Doesn't he know that this is my weakness? We want to blame everybody else for the decisions that we make. And what we really need to do is we need to acknowledge that the source of our frustration is most often us. We're the source of our own frustration. Your responsibility is your response. Your response is your responsibility. How you respond to a situation is not the responsibility of others. My, my anger because an elderly gentleman who is driving his car slow, my anger is not his responsibility. It's my responsibility. My annoyance is my responsibility. My frustration is my responsibility. My response, my responsibility. But yet we don't do that. We don't do that. And it's ridiculous because it comes with this place of arrogance. It comes from a place of arrogance. And even when you look at, at Samson's life, you'll see like these, these pitfalls that he had. Like he was, he was really driven by lust. But even more than being driven by lust, he was driven by this arrogance. And when we won't take responsibility, it's because of an arrogance that is really, it's like, I don't know, birthed out of an entitlement. That everything revolves around us and the world owes me and other people owe me this stuff. And the honest, sad reality of the gospel is that the only thing that you are owed, the only thing that you deserve is death. Paul tells us we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God and the punishment, the wages, the earnings, the thing that we deserve of sin is death. So we can't take this entitlement mentality of saying, well, they owe me this. Somebody owes me something. Nobody owes you anything. And because somebody does something to you, that doesn't erase your responsibility of controlling your own response, your own emotions, especially when it's anger. Because we're told through Scripture we can be angry but sin not. Am I going to be able to control the anger that rises up when it's like, really, if, if you can't drive even the minimum speed limit, you probably shouldn't be driving. That's my thoughts. Those are what I think. And if that is my thought and that is my thinking, what I do with that is what is going to matter. Am I going to let that propel me to then tailgate somebody, to ride their bumper, and to cause their anxiety to go up because I'm frustrated? Or am I just going to look at this and say, all right, well, there's a passing zone for a reason. I will wait until the opportunity and then I will pass. No big deal. 
my response, my responsibility. Samson is still dealing with this anger. And when we look down in verse 15, it says, He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, he took it, and he killed a thousand men with it. (laughs) Kills a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. Verse 16, Samson says, With the jawbone of a donkey, I have turned them into donkeys. Actually, it says heaps upon heaps, but there are other translations that would say, From the jawbone of a donkey, I've turned them into donkeys. It says, With the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. See, all of a sudden, another emotion comes out of Samson's anger. It's the emotion of pride. It's the emotion of pride because now he, look what I have done. I have killed a thousand men. I have slain them all. Here's the the harsh reality that I have come to realize because I individually, as as a human being, in my fleshly, flawed human nature, one of my biggest struggles is pride. If somebody were to ask me, what is the biggest sin that you have struggled with? Pride. Easily pride. And yet I know what the scripture says. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Scripture says that pride comes before the destruction. And I know this, and I recognize this, and so I I fight against this. And I have those Apostle Paul moments where it's like, I don't want to be proud, but yet I'm proud. And I struggle with that. But I come to realize that pride is born out of insecurities. Pride is born out of insecurities. When we don't know who we are in Christ, the first emotion that will take over is pride. And the first emotion that rides up will be the one that takes us down. Pride will come in because we start to say, hey, look at me. Look at me. Didn't I do a good thing? Don't you see what I did? There was that person on the street corner asking for some money. Don't you see that I gave them some money? I did a good thing. Hey, look at me. Look at me. I've been going to church every week. Don't I do good things? Hey, look at me. I bought my wife a present. That's a good thing, right? And this is the hard thing because the flip side of that is then us also saying, oh, well, I I don't need to ask for help because I've done so many good things. I can figure this out on my own. Both of those come from pride. Oh, I can handle it all myself. I, I don't need to do this. Oh, I can take care of this wrong that has been inflicted upon me. I will go grab the jawbone of a donkey and I will slay a thousand men. I will have vengeance. I will take care of this. And unfortunately, when that happens, we've blown it. We have completely blown it. Because now we have no longer relied on God. We have been driven by our emotions and we can't be led by His Spirit. See, when we acknowledge our need, it puts us in a place to receive from the one who is able to meet the need. 
When your need moves you to God, God meets your deepest needs. Samson wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't going towards God. He was letting his emotion steer him. His emotion drive him. His emotion direct him. Instead of letting the Spirit of God lead him. And what was happening is he was fueling that anger and he was fueling that emotion and all it was doing was making it burn hotter. Because now it wasn't just taunting 30 Philistines. It wasn't then killing 30 Philistines. It wasn't just taking 300 fox and lighting the whole place on fire. It then becomes a thousand men that he kills. Because his anger kept burning hotter and hotter and hotter. And in our lives, when we let our emotions take over, we let our emotions start to drive us, it just gets worse and worse and worse. This snowball effect, it keeps building and it keeps building. A little miscommunication with your spouse all of a sudden leads to nights where you're not even talking to each other. And it leads to a separation, which leads to a divorce, which leads to a fractured family. All of a sudden, it's like I have this miscommunication with my boss at work because he told me to do something and I took it the wrong way. And then I started to get snarky and sarcastic with him, which led to discipline on my part, which eventually letting me to tell him where he can shove it. And then I'm without a job. Or somebody who was having a bad day and was weeping and crying inside their car And because of that, they weren't driving the proper way. And all of a sudden, I start tailgating them and I'm rolling up on them. And next thing I know, I get a little too close and they react a little too fast and we get into an accident. And I lose my license. This snowball effect takes place because we let our emotions take over. But if we will let our true need drive us to God and not towards an emotional response, then God is able to meet that need, but it requires us to acknowledge that we need something. It requires us to acknowledge I'm missing something. I lack something. And the only reason that we would not acknowledge that is because of pride. Because I can handle this on my own. And yet when we understand that God resists the proud, we won't get the needs met. But if we will humble ourselves before him and say, God, I need you. I need you because there's something missing here and I don't know what it is. I've got this anger that rises up and I don't know how to control it. I need you. I need your help. When we do that, here's God coming in and meeting that need. Samson here in verse 18 says he became very thirsty. And this is more than just a physical thirst. Please note that. This is more than a physical thirst. This is a spiritual and emotional thirst. He cries out to the Lord, says, You've given me great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of this uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, water came out. He drank it. His spirit returned, 
and he revived. (laughs) See, even in that place that we all find ourselves in of being driven by our emotions, when we're failing over and over and over again, and we're just struggling, if in that moment we still reach out to God, God's not going to sit there and scold you and say, well, you need to drop and give me 20 before I ever quench your thirst. No. God's like, come here. Wherever you're at, let me help you. I'm going to meet you right where you're at because he sees our deepest need and he wants to meet our deepest need. If we will just let our need move us to God instead of moving us into ourselves. When we start to acknowledge that God, I need you. I need you. That's when he's able to come in and truly provide the deliverance. Throughout this series, we have seen this cycle of apostasy where things are going good, but when things are going good, they almost become too good for us because we focus on the good things rather than the one who gave us the good things. And then we pursue more good things, but we pursue the things that are good in our eyes. And that leads us farther away from God. And when we go farther away from God, we we just stumble into this place of suffering and sin. And it's in that moment that we have to cry out to him and say, I need deliverance. I need your help. And over and over and over and over again, the truth of God's word is when you need deliverance, he's there to deliver you but you just have to ask. My hope is that through this type of a message, we're able to see a truth that God is not against us, but he is for us. And even when we position ourselves against him, he is still for us if we will just reposition ourselves. Galatians tells us that we should live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit so we won't give in to the lust of our flesh. Whatever areas that we can look at ourselves and see that we're struggling with and that there's a need for, If we will reach out to God, if we will cry out to God, if we will ask him to meet that need, he will meet that need. God doesn't play favorites. His kids are his kids. His children are his children. He loves each of them equally, and he wants to help every single one of you. Let's pray.